You're listening to Larger Story Messages with Dr. Larry Crabb. For more teaching and resources, visit LargerStory.com. As we begin, number five in our series on contentment. John chapter 10, beginning at verse 1, Truly, truly, the Lord speaking, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger, they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. Jesus therefore said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he shall be saved and shall go in and out, into fellowship, out to service in the world, and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I come, they might have life and might have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hireling and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, beholds the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hireling. Behavior is always reflected in character. Rather, character is reflected in behavior. He flees because he is a hireling and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own. My own know me, even as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they shall hear my voice, and they shall become one flock with one shepherd. May God bless the reading of his holy word. In this series of messages on contentment, I've been discussing with you a truth which I find to be exhilarating, a truth which I find to be a very important and central truth in my own spiritual life. And that truth is simply this, that I can learn to accept whatever circumstances I might encounter in my life, I can learn to accept whatever feelings I might have within, depression, anxiety, worry, whatever it might be, I can learn to accept anything because no matter what's happening to me, no matter what I'm feeling, God has given me as a Christian, as a believer in Jesus, as one who has trusted Christ as a Savior, God has given me all the power that I need to live for him. No matter what comes up, no matter how angry I might be, no matter how frustrated, no matter how many health problems or money problems or job problems or marital problems, no matter what's going on, I have all that I need to live for him, and that's the secret of contentment. Therefore, I can accept whatever happens because nothing can get in the way of my goal. And as a Christian, what's our goal? To live for the Lord, to be what he wants us to be. That can happen no matter what else might happen. If I will simply look at the circle into which God has placed me, the circle of my life that has this element that's good, this element that's bad, if I will simply say, Lord, right now I thank you for the circle that you placed me in because I know that you can use me in the middle of this miserable circle to be what you want me to be. You can use me to have a ministry. And if we'll take that attitude of thanking God for wherever we are, 
and asking him to use us and stop complaining about how bad things are and how many difficulties we have and how much negative feelings we're experiencing, but rather than that saying, God, how do you want me to function? I can do it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's what I've been saying for the past four weeks. And there are many here, many here who really desire to become like Jesus. There are many here who want to be holy. God has saved us for the purpose of becoming holy. We're told that he has chosen us before him, before the foundation of the world, chosen us in him, to become holy without blame before him in love, Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 1. And yet so often, let me just mention an aside here very briefly, so often Christianity is presented to us not as a route to becoming holy, but as a route to becoming happy. Now, I believe that the Lord does provide dividends of joy and love and peace and those things that give us that deep sense of satisfaction in life, but he gives it to us to the degree that we pursue not happiness but holiness. Don't forget that the spirit that dwells within us is not called the happy spirit, it's called the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit provides me all the power I need no matter what circumstances I'm in, to function as Christ wants me to function, to be holy. And there are many of us here who want that. There are many of us here who desire to learn how to control our tempers. Many of us here who desire to learn how to resist sexual temptations. Many of us here who want to learn the power of God to handle whatever circumstance might come up. And it's hard. My question this morning is how can the body help how can I help you do this? How can I help you learn this secret? This secret that you do have the power. This secret that you can function the way God wants you to, no matter what's happening, therefore you can accept your circumstances and go on and live for Him. How can I help you to understand that? How can you help me? How can we help each other? God desires that Christians function within a community, within a body. And He asks that we be concerned about the needs of others and learn how we can minister to each other. This subject is so vitally important. I have the power, but it's hard to believe that sometimes. How can you help me really grasp that so I can go forth and lead the victorious life that God has called me to? I want to suggest two ways that I think are central. Two ways that I believe we as Christians in a local body can really learn to help each other grasp the secret that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Two ways. Let me just state them in title form and then spend the rest of our time discussing these two ways that we as a body can help each other learn to grasp the secret that we do have the power to live for him no matter what we feel, no matter what's happening. The first way is this. Our relationships with each other should substantially reflect the relationship which we have individually with Christ. Our relationships with each other, the way you treat me, the way I treat you, the way we interact, should substantially reflect this relationship back and forth, should reflect the kind of relationship that I have with Christ and that you have with Christ. There's a certain kind of relationship here, and that should be reflected in this relationship here. That's the first point. We'll discuss that in just a minute. minute. The second point is that our conversations, as we gather together on a Sunday evening over iced tea, or as we meet in the homes, or as we see each other during the week, or as we chat before a service, whatever, our conversations should in no way contradict the truth that we can do all things through Christ. Yet so often our conversations contradict that very truth. And as a result, we don't help each other grasp the secret. We block 
appreciation of the secret. Two ways. Let me explain. First, our relationship with each other should substantially reflect the relationship which we have individually with Christ. Look again at our text. John chapter 10. Notice verse 3. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name. What does that tell you about the relationship that the Lord has with his sheep? I'm one of the sheep. Many of you are too. What does that tell you about the kind of relationship that Jesus has with me? Look at verse number 14. I am the good shepherd, the Lord says, the Lord Jesus, and I know my own. My own know me. Don't you get the sense of a very special, intimate, personal relationship where the Lord looks at me and he says, Larry, you're special. The Lord looks at you and he says, you're special. You're important to me. I know you by name. You matter to me. You're an important person. I care about you. I know all about you. I know how many hairs you have on your head. I know all about that. I know Bryce King has 7,263 hairs. I know Al Cody has 430 and dropping quickly. <laughs> the Lord knows. He has a very special relationship with each of us. Look at Revelation chapter 2. To further illustrate this special relationship which exists this way, which we have to learn to reflect horizontally. Revelation chapter 2 speaks of those people who have overcome one of the churches, Pergamos, one of the churches that John wrote to back in the first century. But those people who have overcome, those people who because they're indwelt by the Holy Spirit have been kept by his power till the day of judgment, because we put our faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit is there, we've overcome. And John says, Revelation 2 and verse 17, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to us, to me, to him who overcomes. Well, that's me, I'm a believer. To him who overcomes, to him I will give some of the hidden manna. And here's the phrase that I want. And I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone, which no one knows, but he who receives it. And there are commentators who take that to mean that the white stone was something that was used back in the times in which this book was written to be kind of like a place card at dinner table. They come to a formal dinner and there was a white stone at each table place and your name was on it. And you'd come into the room and you'd look for your name, just like you do now at a dinner party you might go to that has name tags at each seat. The Lord is saying that he has a place at his banqueting table reserved for me. And I'm going to sit down there at that special place reserved for me and on that name card there's going to be a name that y'all aren't going to share in. You're going to have a name that we're not going to share in. The thought is, you're special to me. We have a unique relationship. Because I'm infinite, my relationship with you is just as if there was nobody else at all. You're that special to me. That's the kind of relationship the Lord and I have. The Lord and you have, if you're a born-again believer this morning, you're special. And we need to reflect that kind of relationship between us. Let me illustrate what I'm talking about. Some time ago, a few months ago, I flew out to Los Angeles for a convention. And on the plane, I struck up a conversation with a woman. Her name was Lois. When we arrived in L.A., about a three-and-a-half, four-hour flight, we had chatted quite a bit. When we arrived in L.A., we got off the plane. She walked down the corridor a little ahead of me, out into the terminal, the waiting area where the people were all milling around. And uh, 
As she came into sight, I heard a male voice call out, Lois! And she just took off and fell into this guy's arms and they're hugging, kissing, doing all sorts of neat things and just having the time of the life and I'm sort of standing there. <laughs> Nobody called my name. I heard Pete and George and Sally and Brenda. Nobody said, Larry! Nobody cared. Nobody knew. I felt a little lonely. So I walked to the ticket counter. I had to reconfirm some return reservations, and I walked up, and the ticket counter man gave me a, a smile that he reserved for anybody. <laughs> and I thought maybe he'd ask my name, and I could say, Larry Crabb. Just wanted to hear it said, you know? And he said, can I see your American Express card? He asked for my name. I felt lonely. I wasn't very special to anybody. Nobody knew my name. Nobody knew that I was there. Nobody cared that I was there. And as I walked over to a restaurant to get a bite to eat, I saw a fella that I knew was going to be at the convention, and I was delighted. And I called out, hey, Gary! Gary! Hey, how you doing? Good to see you! And Gary turned around, and it wasn't Gary. <laughs> That's happened to you, hasn't it? He sort of goes, uh, you sure look like Gary, son of a gun, you know. I felt kind of foolish and kind of dumb and, and nothing very special about all this. I wasn't a special person. I was very unimportant. Nobody cared that I was there at all. You know, I thought about me. I, I didn't feel very strong. I didn't feel very powerful. I didn't feel very adequate. If you'd have told me at that point, Larry, you've got the power of God on your side, I'd have said, I suppose so, but I sure don't feel it much. So I went into the restaurant to eat, and you've all had the experience of uh, just feeling like you don't want to bow your head and make it obvious because people will kind of look at you funny and, and you just don't feel like you have the power to really make a good prayer out of it. You know, Lord, I thank you and do this sort of a thing. So you pull the Christian cop-out prayer. You know how that goes, don't you? You know, Lord, thank you very much for food. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> don't even know I prayed. See? They thought I had a headache. <laughs> Didn't feel any power at all. The truth that I can do all things through Christ was very remote because I didn't feel very special. This Thursday, things are going to be different. I'm getting on a plane to Fort Lauderdale and flying up to Philadelphia. When I get off the plane and I walk down the corridor, I'm going to hear some voices. I'm going to hear two little boys call out, Daddy! And I'm going to hear a very wonderful woman call out, Honey! That's my name. I'm Daddy Honey. See? <laughs> and that me? That's who I am. I'm Daddy Honey. I'm gonna... I can do all things through Christ. I'm special. You see? You see? When you're treated special, when you know how special you are, then you feel like a million bucks. You feel like you're somebody. Yes, I can conquer the world. I can do all things through Christ. When you feel special. And I am special. And so are you to the Lord. Do we treat each other that way? You know, we're all going to go on a trip. Everybody here is going on a trip someday. We don't think of this as a trip, but it is. a trip called death. We're all going to take the trip. And when you take that trip and you arrive at the destination, is anybody going to be there to greet you? Are you going to open your eyes after your trip and call out to the Lord and say, I'm here. I'm here. I live for you the best I knew how. 
I tried to be a moral person. I tried to do what was right. I had a little different belief system maybe, but I sure, I sure tried to be the right kind of person. I'm here. Look at Matthew chapter 7. What's the Lord going to say? What's going to happen when you get off the plane in L.A.? What's going to happen when you get off the trip called death? Look at Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then, the ultimate, the ultimate in separation, the Lord will turn to that person and he will declare to them, I don't know your name. I don't know you. I don't know who you are. You're not mine. Depart into everlasting darkness. You're not mine. When I go on my trip, it's not going to be that way. It's not going to be that way. When I take my trip of death and I wake up, you know what's going to happen? There's going to be a man there. He's going to have holes in his hands. And he's going to say, Larry, it's good to see you. He's going to say, Larry, come on in. Great to have you. Come, come say hi to your grandparents. I haven't seen them for 40, 50 years. Moses, come over here and say hello to my friend Larry. See? I'm pretty special. Oh, he's going to say, I've got a place designed just for you. Gabriel, come take his bags. <laughs> I'm going to be treated like somebody special. Because I am. Because I'm so good. No, 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 no. Don't misunderstand me. You can be treated special too. Why? Because you deserve it no more than I do. What I deserve... What I deserve is to have Jesus say, you're not mine. Depart into everlasting separation from God because you've rebelled against me. You don't deserve me. But he's not going to say that to me. Why? Because there's a point in my life when I said, Lord, you really do exist. I am a person who has sinned. I have done that which is wrong. I have lied. I have cheated. I have lusted. I have been dishonest. Lord, I have not been what you want me to be. I deserve your judgment. You're a holy God. You deserve, I deserve to be punished. But Lord Jesus, you came to the earth, you're God, and as God, you lived the perfect life that I could never live, and you went to the cross for me. You took the punishment that I deserved. And there was a time in my life when I said, Lord Jesus, I trust in you now as my Savior. I accept the death that you died as the punishment that I should be punished with. Therefore, a holy God pronounces me free of guilt. He says, your sins are forgiven because the penalty has been paid. Have you done that? If you've done that, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, given yourself to God by recognizing your sin separates you from God, but Christ has paid for your sins, if you've done that, then when you go on your trip, you'll be treated special too. And our responsibility now in recognition of the fact that we're special people, our responsibility now is to treat each other that way as special people. When we treat each other that way, then we start to recognize, hey, I really am somebody. I really am worth something. How many people have told me I feel like I'm worthless? And for me to say, well, the Bible says you're worthwhile, that doesn't get through. They've got to be treated worthwhile. By who? By the local body. That's where it should be. Treated worthwhile. As people that are important. Listen to how C.S. Lewis puts it. He says this, and how we should think of other people. And think of the person next to you as I read this. Think of your spouse. 
It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses, small g, to remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person that you talk to may one day be a creature which if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. When I see him, I'm going to be like him. And if you could see me right now, like I'll be in that day, you'd be tempted to worship. That's how special I am, by God's grace, and so are you. Or else a horror and a corruption, such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities, it is with the awe and the circumspection proper to them, that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilization, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. Now this does not mean that we are to be perpetually solemn. We must play, but our merriment must be of that kind, and it is in fact the merriest kind, which exists between people who have from, from the outset taken each other seriously. No flippancy, no superiority, no presumption, and our charity must be a real and costly love, the deep feeling for the sins, in spite of which we love the sinners. When you treat me like that, when you treat me the way the Lord is treating me, as somebody special, then I feel good about me. And it's easier for me to grasp the secret. It's easier for me to say, yes, maybe I really am a person. Maybe I can make it in this life. Maybe I really am worth something. And you've encouraged me, you've built me up by reflecting in our relationship, the kind of relationship that really does exist, but which I can't see very often, between the Lord and me. How do we talk to each other? Do we treat each other that way in a way that reflects this relationship? Or do we take each other very casually and very quickly and try to end a conversation that's unpleasant as fast as we can? Somebody comes to you and says, hey, I really, really feel down. What do you do? You take it seriously. You're talking with no mere mortal. You're talking with somebody very special when he says that. What do you say? Well, we all have days like that. Yeah, but I'm, I'm, I'm really down. Things are really tough. Well, don't forget what Crab said. You got the power. Go do it. Is that how we treat each other? Or do we say, wait, wait, wait a minute. You matter. Let me hear. Where are you hurting? I care. God is a place reserved for you. The least I can do is show that I understand that you're a special person. Please understand something. No matter, no matter how people treat you, there are some here right now who are saying, nobody treats me that way, therefore I can't learn the secret. That won't do. No matter how people treat you, whether they ignore you or snub you or treat you as special, no matter what they do, the fact of the matter is that you still have all the power you need to live for God. Don't become dependent on a body. So if the body is removed, you collapse. Don't do that. That's wrong. You're dependent not on other Christians. You're dependent on the Lord. Now, if the Lord put you in a circle with other Christians, for goodness sakes, profit from it. Enjoy the blessings of it. But recognize that your power derives not from the body. Your power derives from the relationship with the Lord and the indwelling Holy Spirit. 
And if nobody treats you special, you still have all the power you need to live for him. What I'm saying is, it's just easier to believe it if he treats others like we're special people. It makes it easier, that's all. And God designed us to grasp that secret, and to treat each other as special people will help us grasp the truth that I'm somebody. I have all the power I need to live for him. That's one thing the body can do. Something else the body can do, equally important, is to have our conversation, to make sure that our conversation in no way contradicts the truth that we can do all things through Christ. Think back about conversations you've had this past week with members of the body. Maybe you've talked about the proposed purchase that we as a church want to make of a lot. And maybe you've focused on the fact that you think it's a poor decision. You think it's wrong, you're kind of upset about it, a little mad maybe. You talk about your grievance and the difficulties you're having with it. Maybe other things in the church you don't like. You sure have lots of things not to like. Very imperfect church. Very imperfect, lots of failure, mistake, and weaknesses. And as you talk about the weaknesses of the church, what's the theme of your conversation? Boy, that place, I don't know, they don't shape up here. I'm just looking at those dumb elders, I can't figure out what's happening. That's our attitude sometimes, isn't it? Or should really our attitude reflect the fact that no matter what is happening, no matter what sort of poor decisions are being made, and they may be poor, no matter what is happening, that God has called me to be a faithful Christian in the middle of it. And I can do all things through Christ. Therefore, as I talk about problems, I better move very quickly to asking about my responsibilities to further the ministry as opposed to being a divisive force. How about your conversations about world problems? Does it get you down? Do we stay with the problems and, and lament the difficulties and the pressures and the inflation and the bad job situation and do we do all that? Or does our conversation reflect the truth that no matter what our circle, there's something we can do to honor God and we have all the power we need? Do we focus on the problems? Or do we start thinking about what are some of the solutions? Knowing that there's always a way that God wants me to behave. There's always a solution for me at that moment as to how I should live no matter what's happening in my church, in my world, in my family, or in my own personal life. How about conversations about your own personal problems? How do we talk to each other about our problems? I see the local body as a real counseling community. I see the local body as a place where we should be learning, and I think we are, we need to move more, learning to, to really share with each other what's happening in our lives, Maybe just in a one-to-one -one or maybe a small group, not indiscriminately, but learn to share those few that we've gotten to know pretty close, share our burdens and our problems and, and to have each other counsel, care, direct, advise, listen. Let me give you a short course on biblical counseling, three-minute course. Took me five years to learn this. Suppose someone says to you, you know, I really feel confused about so many things. I don't want to doing everything wrong. I just make so many mistakes. I, I don't know. I just feel like a like a worthless person sometimes. I really feel inferior. What do you do with that? How can your conversation at that moment reflect the truth that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? Is your conversation going to contradict that truth? Or is it going to reflect that truth? First thing you say to yourself is I'm dealing with a very important person. Whoever it is. The person's a Christian, he's special to God in a very unique way. 
the person is not a Christian, he needs to come to know the Lord. We need to win him by our interest, by our love, by our concern, by our genuineness, by our compassion. We need to begin by saying, I care about that human being. I want to minister to that individual. And so you ask some questions and you find out what the person's struggling with and the difficulties that they're having. And then you get a pretty good idea of where, where they're confused and what they're upset about. Now what do you say? Suppose at that point you just continued to draw out his feelings. Would that help? Or would you both be pretty soon wallowing together in unhappiness? This of the body can help. You start with the assumption that there's a way for this person to handle his problems and he has all the power he needs to do it. Start with that. In your head. There's a way for the person to handle his problems and this person has all the power he needs to do it. So what do you say? You might say, gee, sounds like you feel pretty awful. What are you doing about it? person says, uh, I don't know what to do. I just feel terrible. I heard you say that before. What are you doing about your problem? I care. I know you're hurting. What are you doing? You're asking that because you know something can be done. Well, there's nothing I can do. Yeah, these things are just too bad. I, I, I don't know. Let me just talk more about how bad I feel. Well, now, wait a minute. You said nothing could be done. Hey, I got great news for you. It's not true. Super. That's not good news to the person so often. You'd rather stay there and not deal with it sometimes. But I have good news for you. No matter what happens, on the strength of 1 Corinthians 10, 13, I can guarantee you that no matter what happens to you, God always has a plan of how you can deal with it. And you have the power to do it. Now let's figure out what that is. I can't do it. Wait a minute. The verse says you can't say can't. That's what it says. Can't say can't. I can't do it. What do you mean you can't do it? Isn't God alive and well? Is he living in your heart? Do you believe in him as your savior? Do you have an indwelling Holy Spirit? Then you have the very power of God available to you right now to deal with your problem. Well, maybe. But I just feel so down. You know what my wife said to me last week? It's so tempting at that point to say, what, tell me. You know? I want to hear. It's kind of neat. Or at that point you say, look, I'm more concerned with not how your wife has talked to you, but how you've talked to your wife. What are you doing? How are you handling the problem? Well, if you live with her, you wouldn't be too inclined to be nice either. Sometimes I say, he's got a point. But that's not valid. No matter what happens, that person always has the power to do what needs to be done. So I might say to him, look, you've got problems in a variety of areas. You discuss your marriage problems and your your home problems, your disorganization problems. It looks to me like you're just a very disorganized person who's not coming to just with responsibility in your life. You told me before that your, your financial life is out of whack. You haven't balanced your checkbook in six months. Suppose this week you do that. Oh, I don't know. I just feel so awful. Well, I heard that, but here's a step you can pay to do to start solving your problems. So many of us spin about our problems and never do. A Christian talking in the body operating on the premise that God has given all the power we need, we'll be looking for solutions, not focusing on problems. What can you do? Balance your textbook. Well, I'll try. Never let them get away with that. I'll try. You know what's going to happen? Come back next week. Well, I tried, but I didn't get around to it. Because the words, I'll try, what they really mean are, if I feel like doing it, maybe I will. That's what it means. You've got to say, wait a minute. Do you mean you will do it or you won't do it? Which is it? Oh, I'm not sure I can. Wait a minute, of course you can. The Bible says you can. Are you going to do it? All right, all right, I'll do it. When? Well, 
Next week. Okay, what night? Uh, I don't know. Middle of the week. Good, Wednesday? Now i got to go to grocery. All right, have a Thursday. Well, all right, a Thursday night. What time? Well, after dinner. About, what, 7.30? No, not till 8.30. Kids are in bed by then. Okay, how long will it take? I don't know, about an hour and a half. Great, call me a 10. See? My conversation is reflecting what? There's something you can do, and you're responsible to do it. That might not uh, produce fireworks and less all the depression and all that, but there's some things you can start to do to work on your problem. Are right, you catching what I'm saying? You see it? Does our conversation reflect the truth that we can do all things through Christ? When we talk about church problems or interpersonal problems or world problems or in individual personal problems, do we just spin about our problems all the time? Or do we start saying, wait a minute, I've got all kinds of problems. I want to share them with you. I want to tell you about this bad thing that happened. And the person listens because you're special. And then you start together saying, but I know there's something I can do. I don't know what it is, but I'm going to pray for guidance. Will you help me? Because I know there's a solution. I know there's a way to handle it. And I know I have the power to do it. That's successful counseling. That'll get you somewhere. A group of people who focus on solutions as opposed to on problems, that group is going to experience the power of God in their midst. You're going to learn to grasp the secret. Are you content to think about your world, your own personal world? Are you content with the way things are? Have you learned the secret? Contentment doesn't mean, gee, I feel wonderful about what's happening. doesn't mean that. Contentment means no matter, what, no matter what's happening, I can still respond as I should. I can respond in a way that will bring me love and joy and peace because I've learned the secret. I have the power to do it. And as you're thanking God for your circumstances, as you're looking towards solutions, as you're choosing to do that which God wants you to do, believing that the secret really is true, that there really is all the power that God had available to you at this moment to live as you should, to live as you should, as you learn that, you're going to be content. The body can help in two ways. One, we can treat each other as special people, looking at each other, talking to each other, spending time with each other, giving up an hour of TV to talk to somebody that's hurting. We can treat each other as special people and so substantially reflect in our relationship this way the kind of relationship that Christ and I have, that Christ and you have if you're a believer this morning. Secondly, we as a body can focus our attention when we talk about our burdens and our difficulties and our arguments. We can discuss not so much the problems, certainly some of that, but then always with an eye towards what can I do? What does God want me to do? And as we focus on that, we'll be keeping the unity of the Spirit. We'll be living for Him no matter what our disagreement. I might differ with you, but you're my brother, you're my sister, and I want to work with you. Are we talking about what we can do about our problems? Some of you in the past couple of weeks have really been encouragement to me. Many of you have shared with me how you've experienced some power in your life, things that were hard for you that you went ahead and did, believing that God had the power, and you've experienced that power. That's an encouragement to me. I'd like to think that God has spoken through this series of messages. I'd like to think that he's helped us to experience something of what life can be so that we can be content with our problems, with our circumstances, knowing that we have all the power that we need. Paul, in Ephesians chapter 1, turn to that. Paul prayed a prayer. And as I close this series, I'd like to read to you this prayer that Paul prayed. It's a prayer that I could echo, most of us could, as I have preached this series 
on power, the power to be content, to live for God no matter what. I'd like us just to read this prayer as it expresses the sentiments of my heart and many of yours as well. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. For this reason, Paul talking to a local body of Christians, for this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you, and there's faith that exists amongst us here at Spanish River, we know God, and your love for all the saints in our church is a church that's learning more and more how to love. I do not cease giving thanks for you, and that's how I feel about you, while making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom that you might understand the truths of Scripture and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. And then Paul specifically prays in verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance of the saints. And then verse 19, the first part, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? The power that raised Jesus from the dead. What power was that? We read that the Father raised him from the dead. We read the Lord himself raised himself from the dead. I lay down my life and take it again. We read the Spirit raised him from the dead. All three members of the Trinity had a part in raising Christ from the dead. And that power, the power of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, is available to me and available to you to live obediently to his will no matter what our circumstances. And I pray that I'll get a hold of this better. There's a problem when you get a hold of it. It takes all the fun out of sin. You know what it does? Because most of our temptation, we start saying to ourselves, gee, I hope I don't give in. Oh, I wish I had the power. Oh, I, oh, it's getting so strong. Oh, there I go again. And then we enjoy it a little bit because we feel like it wasn't our fault. As opposed to saying, wait a minute, right now I have the power not to do that. Not to snap back at that person. I have the power not to avoid that responsibility. I have all that I need. The power of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit on my behalf to live as I should. I have all that I need. I don't feel it, but I have it. That's the secret, and I trust that we'll learn whether it's the, the, the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. Let's pray. Father, we know so little of you. We know so little of this power. Father, thank you for the taste that we do have. Thank you for the experience of power in our lives as we step out on faith and do that which is difficult, as we endure hard circumstances and yet just persevere just by gritting our teeth and believing that you're there and believing that the power is available although we can't feel a bit of it lord thank you that as we have done so on occasion that we've we've gotten through we've made it and we've come out on the other side and we've begun to experience some love and some joy and some peace lord there's some here who aren't there who are still in the middle of a tunnel there's just blackness all around lord help them to see that right in the middle of that blackness that there's power available to make it out of the tunnel to find the light, to experience the joy that you have. Lord, help us not to complain about our circumstances, but to say thank you and to live for you, to choose to be what you want us to be. Lord, thank you that you made available this power through a relationship with your Son. Having trusted him as Savior, we're indwelt by the Spirit of God and can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Make that real in my life, in the life of each of us here this morning. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Larger Story Messages with Dr. Larry Crabb. To subscribe, visit LargerStory.com.